This season, the Old Gold Club and Wolves TV Matchday Live are powered by Blythe Group. An industry-leading construction company and family-run business since 1982, driving investment and infrastructure across the UK. Blythe Group's mission is to provide an unrivaled service based on innovative, bespoke building solutions and comprehensive customer support. If you're a skilled tradesperson and you want to join the team that powers our team, contact their bases in Wolverhampton, Manchester or Maidenhead via theblythegroup.co.uk. Blythe Group. Big enough to deliver, small enough to care. Old Gold Club, powered by Blythe Group, official partner of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Hello there, I'm Mikey Burrows. Welcome to another episode of Old Gold Club, My Golden Game. On this episode, delighted to say a man that I get to speak to quite a lot, the Athletics' Tim Spears. Hello, mate. You lucky boy. Hello, (laughs) sir. You all right? Uh, I'm very well, my friend. I've kind of been wanting to do this episode for a while. Um, Obviously, we did Tom Parry, who was the kind of the third amigo in our Wolves re-reviewed lockdown summer, which feels like a lifetime ago now. The third wheel, I think you'd say. Um, (laughs) It does feel like a long time ago, and I'm gutted that you did him first, because he's nicked my bloody game. He's nicked the game I would have had. Well, this is is the difficulty. You know, as soon as someone's had that game... I mean, we might come round to some of them again in future, but seeing as we started with Dennis Irwin doing the playoff final, it's kind of ruined it for a lot of people. Yeah, and there's only so much you can talk about a one-all draw with Sheffield Wednesday. You know, as good as, good as that night was. Um, yeah, might be a bit too much. But there's loads There's loads to choose from, Mikey. Well, this is the kind of interesting thing, and we'll get to it in a minute, about kind of um, your kind of two lives, or maybe three lives, mm, as, a, as a Wolves fan and reporter. Um, but obviously at the minute, I'm guessing... You know, like me, you still get to go to games, although you kind of don't get to go to all the games right now, do you? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not good enough to be allowed into away games, really. Um, but well, it, it depends how friendly the club is, and I'm, I'm not going to go into which clubs are friendly and unfriendly. But there, are, <laughs> there are some that let you in and some don't. But uh, yeah, lucky enough to still be going to all the, all the home games during what's a very strange time. It is weird, though, isn't it? Mm. It is. I mean, you've got, yeah. you got to sit behind me at a recent game, which is yeah. kind of different because normally you're up in the stand. Yeah, it is It is strange. I mean, obviously it's a privilege, but you don't want to keep harping on about it, but it's just not the same at all. And, you know, Nuno put it really well. It's just just the emotion and the intensity just, just isn't there, really. It's, it's not the same. I, th- I think the, the players feel the same as well but obviously you don't want you don't want to moan about it not being great because there's 30,000 people that would that would give their left arm to to actually be there so um we just hope that this doesn't last as long as we all fear it will and everything gets back to normal as soon as possible yeah it is um it's kind of strange situations Mm. and kind of strange ways of working um I say this is kind of your third kind of iteration Mm. of following wolves i guess and and you get to do it in a different way being at the athletic 
Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's 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 a fantastic job to have. You know, the Express and Star was my dream role, and that's very much twenty four seven full on report on every single thing about the club, every single day, every single game, home and away, player ratings, match reports, press conferences, stories, videos, podcasts, everything. Whereas the Athletic, it's more take a step back, try and explore in depth what the what the big issues are. Um, try and inform the reader um, about things they might not have heard about. You know, it's big kind of one, two, three thousand word analysis pieces, really, and interviews. And uh, it's um, it's a great club to get your teeth stuck into, really. And I'm, I'm privileged that I have sort of the, the time and resources to hopefully do this this club justice. How did you find that transition from fan Ooh. to journalist? Uh it was yeah, it wasn't easy. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm sort sort of still in pinch me territory really as as to what I do for a living. Um, always wanted to be a writer or a journalist, and Wolves was always my passion in life. But I never ever ever expected that the two would meet. You know, primarily because traditionally there's only one man in the entire world that gets to do that, i.e., the Wolves correspondent of the Express and Star. Um, David Instant was on when I was growing up, and then uh, and then Tim Nash after that. Um, of course, it's now, there's now two jobs, thanks to The Athletic. Um, but to cover Wolves, yeah, full-time, traditionally only one person that gets to do that. I mean, I used to run to the front door to get the paper at five o'clock every day and read David Instant's back page story. Um, so I sort of recognise on a daily basis the, the privilege that it is to report and write on this, this club um, to its people, its public. You know, it's an honour or treasure for the rest of my life, you know, whatever whatever I end up doing. But yeah, it was an unusual transition, Mikey. I had a season ticket in the Steve Ball in May 2015. And then three months later, I'm in the press box. Um, so you sort of go from singing singing the names of players and sort of hero worshipping them a bit to having to sort of publicly criticise them a couple of months later. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not quite the same now with the club having taken off. You know, Giamatino doesn't really give a damn about whether I think he had a good game or not. But um well, you might do, you never know. But in 2015, it was a very different club. You know, there was no sort of national attention that there is now. There was only sort of two people at a press conference, really, some games. You'll remember just me and Mike Taylor from from uh, BBC WM compared to, what, 20 now or yeah. maybe even more for a big game. So the relationship you had with everybody at the club and the manager as well, the relationship with the manager was so important back then for both of you. You know, you rely on him, as in Kenny Jacket at the time, for copy and for stories but he relies on you to get his message across to the fans because the only real outlet that was doing that at the time was the Express and Star I suppose the only independent outlet you know other than the, other than the club so there's a for me as a fan going into it there was a real balancing act because fans want you to be critical and I saw myself as a voice of the fans and sort of still do I suppose um and they were critical of Kenny and of Walter Zenger and, and Paul Lambert, as you'll remember. But you're close to them as well, and you have to be able to criticise these people while hoping that they still trust you and confide in you. So it's it's not an easy balancing act, and the players were the same. The players would read the player ratings, I know. Um, some of them didn't like them. Um, so it was a hard... Oh, I won't name names. Um, it was a hard transition. You can't act or write like a fan. You've got to be professional and accurate and balanced and see the bigger picture and explain what the club are trying to do while being a voice for the fans. Because I think the paper wanted to see that passion from me because the punters can chime with that. It makes you relatable in, in the social media age on videos and podcasts, etc. But at the end of the day, you've got to be true to yourself and give your opinions while 
trying to inform and entertain the reader, which is which is what I try and do. Well, I mean, it's almost like how have you coped then with? I guess there's an element of fame, an element of maybe notoriety, Oof. probably a, a good word to get yeah, in. Yeah, well said. Yeah, you know that. You know, you go through the situation where obviously your friends are fans and mm. they're questioning you and you can't like everything changes in such a weird way and obviously you know you used to make fun of it with the abuse of the week but <laughs> social media and fans forums are not always kind no ab- absolutely not and i guess i guess it's probably because i'm a bit more opinionated maybe or can be a bit sort of brash or outgoing on on twitter in particular some people just don't like it they just want you to to tell it I'm straight um and yeah it is it has been difficult because it was it was and still is sort of my passion in life but it was my hobby you know for 20 25 years and it's now my profession and, and my job so it's it's a difficult one to to get used to and you know I've had friends who've sort of casual friends who are Wolves fans who would sort of get jealous of me having the job and it's like <laughs> And then you get you, you get the attention in the street, which I totally wasn't expecting at all in my naivety. You know, turning up to Molyneux and getting recognised, or going to the Hogshead at eleven o'clock at night and people coming up for selfies or just shouting your name or just walking down the super, walking around the supermarket and someone will just shout your name down the aisle. Spears, who we sign in? It's like what? <laughs> um, it's bizarre. I remember I, I didn't like it at first. I'm I'm a quite a shy person, that's not naturally, and I, I don't like the attention, and I don't like being shouted out in the street. And um, I remember there was like a Sunday morning, and I think Wolves had lost, and I had to go to the supermarket, and I was hungover, and I just didn't want to see anybody that recognised me. I lived in Wolverhampton at the time, and I drove all the way to Oldbury. I was thinking like deep West Brom territory. I'm in my slacks. I've not had a shower. I'm hungover. Let's just go. Let's just go and buy some hangover food in this uh, Sainsbury's in Oldbury, and I won't get recognised. And I walk in, and someone in the vegetable aisle just shouts my name immediately. Spizzy, how you doing, mate? I was like, oh my god, just can't get away from it anywhere. Um, it is bizarre, you know. Even going to like London or going overseas, Wolves fans ev- everywhere. Um, but hey, it's 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 part of the job. I, I wouldn't change it. I'm extremely, extremely privileged and expre- uh, extremely fortunate. Because the game that we're doing as your mm. golden game, um, we're not actually going back that far, really. 13th of April, 2009, massive 3-2 win away at Derby. I mean, we're talking 11 years ago, but in your world must feel like a lifetime ago. God, yeah, eleven years. Yeah, it does feel like a long, does feel like a very long time ago. Yeah, I, I really loved that that era. That was sort of my last sort of favourite era as a fan, I guess. Um, I mean, I went, I and people my age went through, you know, a tough time really as as Wolves fans throughout the nineties. There was such, <laughs> it was, um, it was such a strange time. You know, I kind of grew, my first game was nineteen ninety one. Um, and it's mostly thanks to A, my dad, and B, Steve Bull, that I became a Wolves fan. Um, but then that whole decade, the first sort of 12 years of my Wolves support in life were of perennial disappointment and underachievement because it was a club that should have been doing far better than it did. You know, I, I don't really remember the ramshackle Molyneux. The, the North Bank was being built when I, when I started going. So I sort of remember a, a beautiful, pure 
perfectly symmetrical golden palace um, before the seats started to fade and the stands <laughs> started to change shape. You know, Molyneux was better than most grounds that I would see on match of the day when I, when I was a kid. And Wolves had more money than a lot of Premier League teams. And they had the most high-profile manager in the entire country in Graham Taylor. And they had international players in the team. And I was like, why, why are we why are we in the Championship? Or whatever it was called at the time, Ensley, Ensley Division 1. Um, so that whole decade, the playoff defeats, Bolton, Palace, Norwich, FA Cup quarterfinals, semifinals, it was sort of hard to get over as a naive young boy and you did feel let down year after year I guess that's that's how it felt because the expectations were so high and they just couldn't get out of that division so yeah you sort of let down year after year that's you know that's why when I meet someone now Mikey you know I just I'd never expect too much from them you know it's just ingrained <laughs> ingrained in me that I'll end d- disappointed um I think and I saw that the my generation of fans will sort of feel that way and I think the current amazing what's going on now there's a feeling amongst fans my age of you know enjoy it while it lasts and this is not normal um at the risk of sounding like an old man you know kids you you don't know you're born really i guess that's sort of the mentality that's ingrained in us but yeah to go back why this game then becomes so important to you personally because it, it felt at the time, I mean, it's only, what, two games after the defeat away at Blues, which felt like a kind yes. of a pivotal moment. And that given what had happened at the start of the decade in kind of slipping away from a promising totally. position, and even in this game going 2-1 down, it's the, it's the way that suddenly it's like the realisation, I guess, that, no, this, this is our moment. That's that's it. You know, it's it's not just a three-two win over Derby. It's it's all the context that goes before it, really. And and that the middle part of that decade was was so disappointing. You know, after finally, after twelve years of that of that constant disappointment, finally getting to the Premier League in two thousand and three, and then spending no money and finishing bottom of the table, and suddenly you're back in the Championship again, and it's that purgatory every year. And it's like, oh. We're here again. We're never going to get out again. And then you had the Glenn Hoddle era, you know, which really disillusioned me. That was the first time as a Wolves fan that I really sort of felt disconnected. Couldn't relate to those players at all. And the football was, you know, was just not very good to watch. So when Mick McCarthy came in in 2006, it was such a breath of fresh air and it really re-engaged me. I mean, I never stopped going, but it really re-engaged me as a supporter. And I think a lot of other supporters felt the same that... If you're not going to have success and, and finish top of the league, you want to be able to relate to your team. You want to see a hard-working, grafting team that you can sort of relate to. And after that Hoddle era where there was a lot of players that you just couldn't relate to, a lot of them um, at the club for a last payday maybe or at the end of their career, suddenly you had the likes of Michael Kitely, Matt Jarvis, Carl Henry, local lad, Jody Craddock who just gave his all week after week, Andy Keogh gave his all week after week, Kevin Foley... George Alakobi, that I could I could go through the whole team. You wanted them to win, and you felt like they were playing for you. You really felt that way. And having had the privilege of getting to know some of these players since, that's how it was really. And there was a real connect between the stands and the pitch. And Mick was at the centre of all that. I thought he did an absolutely fabulous job for Wolves for so many years. And after a couple of a couple of really good years, I think they finished oh, fifth and seventh in the first two Mick years. 
that first year in particular was fantastic. The overachievement, overachievement. Finally, after years of underachievement, this was a team that was overachieving. You know, they cost, they cost, yeah, they cost pennies to put together. And then this third season where they romped to the title, well, at the end, it was, um, it was a fabulous year. And this game in particular was almost the culmination of that. Um, they'd won at Forest a few weeks earlier, which was great. And then the Blues defeat, as you say, and went to that game. And then this Derby game, they're 2-1 down with, I think, 12 minutes to go and turn it around with two late goals. Andy Keogh, who'd had a terrible time that season, I think had only scored two or three goals, coming up with two goals of his own, including the winner, whipping his top off in front of the an ecstatic away end. You've got all the subs joining in with that, that famous celebration, which was made into a T-shirt, which I own. Um, and then the full-time whistle comes and it's it's you're ecstatic enough that your team's won um and then the results came in from elsewhere i'll never forget it coming over the tannoy system blues and sheffield united had both dropped points against teams they were supposed to beat and all of a sudden a tight promotion race suddenly turned on its head not turned on its head but really opened up on that on that in that moment and that wolves could then win promotion the week after against QPR which of course we all know that they did so it was such a great feeling and you can't beat an away day Mikey and an away day that's not on telly and there's just 2,000 of you there you know in in um, in the lion's den so to speak nothing beats an away day and uh, when all, all those things came together it was just a special special day See I was going to say would you remember much of it or would you have been less than sober uh, no, I, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> what? you? You wouldn't have asked Jack, you wouldn't have asked that of Jackie Oatley, would you? Oh, I feel I'm being assassinated it's with my because character. Because I know yeah. you. Okay, that, that's completely fair. Um, no, I remember the night out afterwards. I went out with my mate Rich back out in Birmingham. Um, no, I was. I, I never used to. I never used to get drunk for the games until now. <laughs> um, no, I don't. If my employees are listening. Um, I never used to get drunk before a game. We'd always go for a couple of beers, but I, I liked to remember it yeah. and savour the experience. You know, absolutely love away days. There's nothing nothing like an away day. You make all that all that effort to go, you know, to get your tickets, which can be difficult. You give up your entire day. You give up a lot of money. You travel a long time to get there. You're at a different ground. You're in the minority. There's something very sort of tribal about it. You sing for 90 minutes. You know, I used to sit in the steed ball, which is a bit quieter, but you stood up and you're singing at an away game. It, it, so it does something to you, really. I'd, I'd never stick, stick two fingers up at a bloke I've never met standing 30 yards away from me <laughs> in the streets. But at an away game, when there's a, a tiny invisible line of segregation between you, you feel like you can do anything. Um, I didn't do that that often, I should just point out. But, you know, it just it does something, it does something tribal, to you. It's tribal, isn't it? It is. It's it is tribal. It is tribal, and there's nothing that beats an away win. And it's like it's sort of like an "I was there" moment, and and this was one of those. Like I said, it wasn't on telly, so there's only a couple of thousand of you that experienced it. And you know, um, I'm sure that would have been the case for a lot of the European away days last season, like Torino away. That would have been the ultimate away day for many fans, I think. So, um, no, for all those for all those reasons, it was special. I could have chosen quite a few games here, mate, but um, but this this is one of my favourites without a doubt. Would you have been? Were you? Would you have been wearing a replica shirt? What taught me through what a 2009 Tim Spears would have looked like in that way and handsome, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Twenty was I? Twenty four. I think I used to wear. I always used to buy the top 
and then I'd probably wear a hoodie over it so that I could cover it up when you're on the train because I used to get the train to games. And then as soon as you get through that turnstile and get frisked and go into the away and you just whip, whip that hoodie off, circle it around your head. Here we go, <laughs> the boys. <laughs> Come on, me babbies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah, I used to go with my mate, my mate Rich and we'd always make a, a sort of a weekend out of it. Um, I used to go with my dad when I was younger. Um, but he would, um, he always used to like to leave on the final whistle, on the final whistle. So we'd sort of go during injury time and I missed a lot of last minute winners. Um, so that was the primary reason in me, in me switching to go with my mate Rich, but I'll always be grateful to my dad for giving me the gift that was Wolverhampton Wanderers, especially as an aside, because he's from Stoke originally, he's a Stoke fan. And we used to go to Stoke games at the old Victoria ground when I was younger. Um, but the reason he's a Wolves fan is because he moved here for work and he is a doctor and he had three job offers in like 1987, 88, whatever it was. One was Wolverhampton, one was Grimsby. <laughs> so that's where I could have ended up or one was Blackburn. So I'm forever grateful that I don't live in Grimsby and that I'm a Wolves fan. It's, it's such a lovely thing, isn't it? And, uh, you know, the, the iconic image of Andy Keogh top off. Yeah. In front of the away end, sun shining, kind of goes back to what we're talking about, about really missing the fans from games, because those are the moments that define what it is to be a football supporter, I think. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Him and him and Kyle Reid, it was. Oh, Kyle, what a contribution he made. Uh, Marlon Harewood as well. Do you remember? He stuck, I think he stuck the cross in yeah, for the winner. Yeah. Diving um, header for Keo's winner. Yeah. I, iconic scenes. No, you're absolutely right. It's um, sort of football's all about. You know, I'm not um, I'm not an overly emotional man, Mikey, as, as you know. But, but I do get emotional when, when it comes to football more than anything in life, really. Much to the annoyance of, of a string of ex-girlfriends who... Try to crack through this tough exterior, you know. Um, it's only—it's all about football for me. Uh, football's the only thing that's really makes me makes me cry. I guess I don't mind admitting I've cried four times at football, all Wolves related. I'm going to list them if you want them. Uh, the Bolton semi-final, 1995, it still hurts. Uh, the Reading playoff win in 2003, the semi-final. The West Brom semi-final. In 2007, when Jody Craddock scored, that was like a massive wave of emotion. And then the Man United Cup quarterfinal. Um, even though I was in the press box, I did shed a little tear at full time. So there's just there's nothing else in life that makes me feel that passionate. Um, and Wolves will always hold an extremely you know special place in my heart, whether I'm a fan or a journalist or nothing. Thanks for listening to The Old Gold Club, powered by Blythe Group. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts. Wolves TV, the home of live uninterrupted radio commentary of every single Wolves game. But that's not all. Wolves TV also brings you extended and alternative match highlights, interviews with the team, behind-the-scenes features and training coverage, plus see every goal Wolves score from every angle. So check out Wolves TV online at wolves.co.uk or on the move via the Wolves app. <laughs>